Celebrating UNESCO's International Year of Indigenous Languages 2019 with the SOAS World Languages Institute. I'm here with Arnaldo. Hi, excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. I'm here with Fadi. Awesome to be here. <laughs> cool. Yewa, say hi. Hi, Kumi. Thanks for having us. Cool. And also my mom is joining us. Diana, how are you, mom? <laughs> hi. Uh, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> Wonderful. So today we'll be discussing uh, being tongue-tied and the concept of our mother tongues and whether we speak them, whether we don't speak them, how we feel about that and anything else that ensues. So I hope you enjoy this next segment. Hi, my name is Arnaldo, and I studied an MA at UCL's Institute of Education in Applied Linguistics in TESOL. And I currently live in London, and my interests center around language and power dynamics and how certain forms of expression and communication can disrupt the balance of power. Right, my name is Fade. Uh, I'm a PhD student here at SOAS, and I'm looking into the political economy of renewable energy in Nigeria. Hi, my name is Yawa. I'm currently an MA student at SOAS Uni um, and I'm wanting to focus on the increase or decrease in language use in West Africa, particularly in conflict areas. Yeah. My name is Diana. I'm a mom of three. Currently, I'm working at the airport. I have an interest in clothes making. The first question I want to ask everyone is, What's your mother tongue? Strangely, I think my first language is English. It's the language I spoke at home. It's the language um, with which I learned at school. Um, it's the language I'm better at. Um, so I consider English my first language, but then I still consider um, Yoruba my mother tongue. Yeah. What's the distinction for you between mother tongue and first language? So I guess for me, the distinction is what people in Nigeria make the distinction, right? Um, so when people in Nigeria ask you what's your language or what's your mother tongue, they expect you to say um, the language that's spoken in the region that you're from. Um, so that's where I get my, my definition of mother tongue, essentially. But then first language is, um, I mean, that's the language I'm good at. Yeah. Or the language I think in, essentially, yeah, English. Yewa, what's your mother tongue? My first language, I think, is a mixture of English and Yoruba because I spoke both of them at home and I can't actually remember which one I learned first but I know I was learning both of them at the same time so if I can say both then yes English and Yoruba. My mother tongue I'm confused because um, Yoruba was spoken around me but English was the official language. Having said that we, we didn't speak English at home but at school you dare not speak Yoruba. There was dire consequence if you spoke, um, and it wasn't just Yoruba, you know, other Nigerian languages or dialects. You dare not speak those at school. You'd be punished. So it was English there. At home, they didn't speak English to us, but we were English speakers. So I'm confused. I think that the idea of mother tongue is meant to symbolize or mean something more profound and more connected to something deeper in terms of culture and heritage. And so I, I would say that mother tongue m might be Puerto Rican Spanish, Caribbean Spanish, and specifically Andalusian Spanish. My, my father is of Puerto Rican descent. My mom is from the south of Spain. And those varieties of Spanish are very specific. 
and different. That being said, though, I also feel that the idea of your mother tongue is supposed to like represent like your roots or your heritage, like, you know, where, where do you come from? But even that, like thinking about English and thinking about Spanish, if you want to, I know some people might say, oh, you're making it too complex. I like, give me a break. But even Spanish is a colonized language. There were languages, for example, that people spoke in Puerto Rico or people were brought to Puerto Rico that spoke that either exist in very minimal forms and like a word here or a word there that are seasoned in the Spanish. So it's, it's kind of problematic. I, I mean, I, and I'm being honest when I think about those things, like obviously I do feel proud to say that I can speak Spanish, but then there's also something in my mind that says like, well, Spanish is just another colonizer's language as well. So your mother tongues, or you've said what your mother tongues are, did you speak Spanish growing up? as a first language or one of your first languages? So I was I was born in my mom's town in the south of Spain. For the first two years of my life, that's what I was raised around. And when we moved to New York, which is where my father's from, my father's parents only speak Spanish and we lived with them. From what my mother tells me, when I started kindergarten or first grade, I was teaching her English based on the English that I was learning in school. I don't really have those memories. I don't have specific memories of speaking in Spanish, but according to my grandparents, according to my mom, I would respond in Spanish. You speak Yoruba. Did you grow up speaking Yoruba? No, I didn't grow up speaking Yoruba. So I grew up speaking English at home and at school. Um, I only started speaking Yoruba after university. So this was after I was 21 with friends when we we're joking around, which is really useful. Or when you go to the, mar the market, supermarket, or speaking with, um, with people in Nigeria, um, it was a sort of way to negotiate your identity to let them know, you know, you know, I'm one of you, <laughs> essentially. So, so that's how I, 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 that was when I started speaking um, Yoruba. But in, before that, I'd been speaking English, like essentially, yeah. I have a memory from when I was around four of actually speaking in Yoruba because we used to have, so this is when I was living in Nigeria, we used to have house helps and one of them was not Yoruba. And I remember trying to teach her the language so I definitely was speaking it around that age but there was a point in time where that kind of just dropped off because as I said my my pet well my parents always sort of spoke Yoruba to us to my brother and I um but a lot of the time we responded in English so I think I was speaking it as a child but at some point that just dropped off and then it was replaced by English so I've spoken English for most of my life how about from a different generational perspective, growing up in Nigeria, maybe a little bit closer to the colonial influence than, than the rest of us here? I spoke Yoruba fluently, strangely enough. It would be so odd speaking English at home. We just didn't, but we watched TV. We spoke English at school. We were taught in English at school from primary, kindergarten, primary, secondary school. So I lived in Nigeria till I was 17. I haven't been born here and taken to Nigeria when I was about a year old. So I lived in Nigeria till I was 17, same as, you know, similar to you. When I got here, they said we spoke Queen's English. It's like, how? Because we spoke better than, we pronounced things, words better, more appropriately than Cockney. And we didn't, Cockney, we wouldn't even think about that. So I don't know how that happened. We did speak English. We did not speak English at home, but we understood and spoke fluent English. Okay. How about, so, um, sorry, mom, I'm going to leave your generation out of it for a second. Um, in your experience, why don't you think you 
spoke Yoruba growing up. My parents didn't speak Yoruba to me. Um, and I blame them for. <laughs> but then um, sometimes it could be because it could be an aspirational thing. Um, so I'm not sure if that played into the psyche of my parents when they didn't do that. But um, but I think it's definitely because um, my parents didn't speak it to me. Um, that's why. Um, yeah, that's why I didn't. You know, grow up speaking the language. Yeah. Did you try and speak the language? W- did you try and speak the language with your peers and friends? Did, were your friends Yoruba and, and would that have been an option? We all spoke English um, to each other uh, in school, friends like around the neighbourhood. Yeah. My answer to that is that my parents spoke Yoruba to me, but then I responded in English and that was always fine. I was never, I was never told, oh, why don't you try and say that in Yoruba or like, you know, encouraged to speak it more. Um, and then by the time... I moved back to the UK. I was speaking English all the time. I went to school speaking English. To go back a step, when I was in school in Nigeria, I was speaking English to my friends because we spoke English in school. It was kind of the same as you. We weren't like forced to speak English, but everybody was speaking English. It was kind of the language of the school. That's my answer. And I do blame my parents as well. <laughs> because just because like now, you know, they my parents are always up in arms about, oh, why don't you speak that yeah, you're about more, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, you didn't find that an issue before. You didn't realize that was a problem because you were kind of fixated on us like speaking good English. I mean, I don't blame them for thinking that. Like they had their reasons for wanting their kids to speak English for a while I, I blame my parents as well <laughs> for a long while and even to the extent when there were times that I did speak in Spanish there would be someone laughing or critiquing which would make me feel insecure however I think I've gotten to a realization that I I shouldn't look at languages or a language as something that we actually have a decision over and that the languages that we speak or do not speak actually may be out of the hands and the power of our parents and that languages don't exist as simply cultural or heritage things that get passed on, but also, again, as power dynamics. And that it's not a coincidence that one generation from a country could possibly speak three languages and the very next generation can speak only two, um, that these these abilities, these linguistic abilities are connected to bigger global power structures. And I think to myself, a, a, an anecdote that my mom told me when she, when she um, took me to pre-K, she took me to pre-K in, in, in the United States, we were living in Chicago at the time, and she was told by the teacher, don't speak to him in Spanish at home because you will hinder his ability to do well in this country. I think my mom was a young mom moving to a country where she was coming to grips with the language herself and trying to ensure a future for myself. And then now you have this educator that tells her this. And I'm not blaming the educator, but I think that micro example connects to the macro of what happened. I don't blame my parents anymore. And I think that it has to do more with societal power and societal structures and that language and languages are just a mask for other things that are going on in society. That's really interesting. You kind of skipped ahead to my deep questions, but um, I'm going to run with that because um, I wanted to put it to you. What do you think of the idea that the hegemony, the sheer power of English particularly in a country like Nigeria um, as a former colony, is 
systematically or has systematically marginalized or to maybe to the extent of quashing the indigenous languages in, in places that, that English exists, which these days seems to be everywhere. One of my observations from my research so far is whenever we're discussing Yoruba um, or whenever we're discussing heritage language, I tried to just make it about that language, but I couldn't abstract from English. It always came into the conversation when I did not specifically ask questions about it. So there's a power dynamic there. There's, there's something going on. And one linguist called it linguistic imperialism. And so I've come across this concept. Or can anyone else speak to the idea that Arnaldo has mentioned um, about power structures, English having this hegemonic power that just pushes everything else out the way? Uh, are we allowed to go deep? Because we were fine doing what we were doing. We were fine using the moon as our bedtime thing, you know, nature, and singing songs without electricity. You know, that they call it rural because any town that doesn't have electricity now is seen as rural, but we were so happy doing that before, you know, what they call um, civilization, in quote, came. So, you know, that brought the language thing. And from then on, that's when English has been, you know, introduced. And everyone thinks that if you don't speak English, then you're not it. So you want to be it. But we didn't know that that's what we were doing, that we were conforming. I'm thinking it's you. <laughs> yeah, that we were conforming. So, yes, you know, power, like I said, like I said earlier, everyone now in Nigeria, and I just wonder, they're in Nigeria and they are all speaking English. And I'm like, why? And I want to justify being here and speaking English because it's, you know, England you know, environment for English. But in Nigeria, maybe that's an excuse, but in Nigeria, what is their reason now for speaking English at home? I don't understand it. So I say, you know, aspirational, you want them to speak better English. So the more they speak it, the better they, they get at, you know, speaking it. And, you know, you think that English speaking, as they call it, is... Um, you get better jobs if you, your, your English is fluent. So I think parents now speak English. So going back to why, it's because English is, number one, the official language in Nigeria, and then you want to be better, and everyone is coming to UK, so let them understand English so well because they're going to end up in UK, America anyway. So, you know, we don't know that it was that imperialism or colonialism, colonization that just crept in and taken over our brains and everything in us because everything now, you you know, apart from the market, you, you will have supermarkets like in England. So you think you're in England. My mum has this friend who, I don't really get why they're friends, but fine. She came to our house one day and was talking to my parents. They were discussing about Nigeria and all the problems that, you know, we're having in Nigeria. Nigerians like to talk about Nigeria all the time. <laughs> and then this woman said, you know what Nigeria needs? They need to be colonized again. And she, she thinks that that is the answer to solving Nigeria's problems. 
that they need to be in that imperial situation again. So enforce more of that civilization mentality on them, force them to speak English, force them to be colonized. And that's the only way that Nigerians are going to change. So obviously that is problematic, but I don't think that she's the only one who thinks this way. I think that in Nigeria, Nigerians who are struggling have looked around them and have seen what is the benefit of being Nigerian right now? What is the benefit of speaking my own language when I can't feed my kids? I can't do that much. So how about I teach my kids English? Hopefully they'll get a better life and maybe one day they'll make it to the UK. Because right now being Nigerian doesn't really mean very much. I think that that's how a lot of people are viewing being Nigeria. They they see it as being poor. Unless you're in that very small 1% of people who are rich. Um, I think that is a contribution to the reason why a lot more people in Nigeria are teaching their kids English. My experience, I've noticed two two dynamics. Um, so the first is um, the one that you've um, both mentioned, which is um, where the parents have aspirations for their kids. So you want them to speak English well. You want them to be able to read and write English well so they can get um, do well at school, so they can get good jobs. So there's definitely that going on at all levels of society. But then what I've also noticed as an adult is that um, there's also the pressure to speak your own language as well. Um, because as I mentioned earlier, it helps you um, negotiate your, your identity. And the way Nigeria is currently set up and has been set up for a while post-colonialism, um, um, since 1960, the way Nigeria has been set up is that um, um, in the political landscape is that um, the, the political elites and a lot of businesses organize themselves around um, ethnic groups. That, that's the main way to organize people in, in Nigeria, organizing around ethnic groups. And those ethnic groups usually have um, their own languages. And in order for, for you to, to tap into that organization or, or the opportunities that come with those organizations or those groups, understanding how to speak the language definitely helps. And something I've noticed in the last decade of my life, and it's actually one of the reasons why I've pushed myself to, um, to try to, to learn Yoruba better because it helps you tap into those um, groups and those networks that you know promote um, the interests of whatever region um, you're, you're from. Well I think thinking about languages going back to languages as power structures I think that we could even question Yoruba as a power structure and living, let's say, for example, in, in Nigeria and being from a, dif- a different ethnic group that does not speak Yoruba, but still being Nigerian, what does that mean for you? And also questioning ideas of uh, imperialism as not necessarily 100% new. So obviously the way that the 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 way that the world is structured now is not the same way that it was structured hundreds and hundreds of years ago. However, I'd be interested in in taking it, taking the idea of language as has has it always existed? Has there always been a dominant language? But I think what what's new about these ideas of languages and what's been said at the table in terms of being able to speak English and speaking it to a proficiency will enable you to have more success. I think that should also be questioned because there are immigrants that came to the UK and, for example, United States and other countries, and they have lived here for three and four generations and speak English, however, still don't have access to the same opportunities. So why is that? So one example right now, actually, that came across my desk at work today is of a Nigerian, let me see if I can get this right, Nigerian Greek born 
individual who is just been nominated as the NBA's MVP this year. He's 24 years old. He was born and raised in Greece. He, in interviews, I was reading an article, He, someone asked, so what are you? He said, obviously I'm Nigerian. Like, you see me, I'm Nigerian, but I'm Greek. He said, I was born in Greece. I speak Greek. My parents are Nigerian, but I would be lying to you if if I sat here and claimed to be the quintessential all-knowing Nigerian person because I've never been there. He's like, this is what I know. I know Greece. And he speaks Greek in interviews and there, maybe it's going off topic, but I think it's also all con- all interconnected because his his situation was that he was born in Greece, but because his parents were not Greek, he didn't have citizenship. And in 2014, around there, the Greek state decided to enact a law that said that something along the lines of uh, immigrants would, it would be easier for immigrants to now get citizenship, specifically also, I think, if they had been born there, regardless of their parents not being from there. So they've granted him citizenship. That's the point of that. However, if you sound native, but you don't look native, well, what does that mean? Because again, looking at the the context of the UK, there have been groups of people who've been living here and they speak English. Their parents were born here. Their parents speak only English. They were born here. They only speak English. However, success rates, access to resources, treatment in terms of societal treatment, how you are perceived, how you are treated, still remain to differ. And so I think that sometimes language again gets masked as a way to isolate, discriminate, and change access to resources. And it's not necessarily a guarantee, right? So if you can speak a language language perfectly or to native standard, it still may work against you. I've had the case when I was teaching in Spain, when my students found out that I was of Puerto Rican descent, they would say, yeah, I could tell when you were teaching us, sometimes you had a Spanish accent when you spoke English. And I just would laugh to myself because I would think to myself, that's funny because really English is my first language. And there's nothing wrong with having a Spanish accent when you speak English. But I thought what was funny is that this is me assuming, however, I looked to them, didn't look native English speaking enough for them for me not to have an accent or or a an accent a spanish english speaking accent and i would always laugh because it happened more than once you have a heritage language that you are learning or have learnt independent of your family situation right but what prompted you to learn the your heritage language um how successful have you felt in learning it and Are you ever compared to native speakers, either by yourself or by other people, um, and their level of fluency? And how do you feel about that? And then we'll come to you, Mum. Like I mentioned earlier, the the reason why I started why I started making a conscious effort to to learn Yoruba is that um, it actually helps with um, access to to certain sort of opportunities. Inner circle. <laughs> <laughs> it, it helps in, and sometimes not necessarily like big opportunities as you, as, as as what I've just said um, seems to imply. Um, but then it's like what you mentioned earlier about going to a market and then being cheated or talking to someone on the road. They're more likely to to speak to you or answer you or help out if you're um, speaking um, Yoruba in a place that speaks um, Yoruba. So essentially. 
approaching people and then people receiving you with like wide open open arms um, because they can identify um, with you in a certain way and that certain way is um, speaking um, your language. So that's what's um, driven me. Um, how successful have I been? I don't think I'll be a good judge, <laughs> to be honest. But then, um, but yes, I do get compared quite often, actually, um, to to other people who speak here about much better than I do. And how does it make me feel? I don't. It just makes me blame my parents more. Even though I've I've heard that fantastic like um, um, explanation um, earlier about um, how sometimes it's not your parents' fault, and then they're also trying to um, negotiate a way for you to to succeed as well. Um, but then essentially, I, I that that's the reason why I learned and. I I couldn't tell you how successful I've been. How are you learning now? Um, speaking more to to my friends and like when I get the chance in a taxi in Nigeria, I try to speak Yoruba. If the person speaks Yoruba, I'm listening to old um, Yoruba songs, um, old types of music. Uh, speak Yoruba, yeah. That's that's how I've been learning. Not not with my family, within essentially, you know with the media and then with people on the roads and the streets and things like that, yeah. So do you speak Yoruba with your family now that you're learning it? No, I don't. Because they, and then they always, like um, like you said, Yoruba, they always say, um, we should speak We should speak more often, we should speak more often, and then they still, you know, speak English with you. And it's just very awkward as well, like, <laughs> you know, speaking, um, speaking Yoruba with my parents when I've spoken to them in English, like, even though it would probably help, but then I kind of feel like that part's too late, hopefully not, hopefully not too late, but then... Um, I think you should just speak it to them. And never mind them replying back in English, but you are learning, as you say, and the more you speak, the more, because they wouldn't say they cannot understand, unless you're going back to how you guys felt when you were little and you thought people were would laugh at you when you spoke it. Maybe you still have that in you. I mean, there may be a, um, a subconscious, you know, um, there may be a hint of that in a subconscious level, but then I guess I haven't made the conscious um, decision to, you know, force them to speak it with me, essentially, which may, may actually help. Because I think they, 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 yeah. they your about that you'd be speaking to your friends would be the adulterated one where the, the slang where you know you just throw in a lot of slangs and english in <laughs> but it would get you it would get you the business anyhow but that's still legitimate yoruba yeah it is it is do your parents know that you're trying to speak yoruba yes yes and they, they respond to that with um cherry laughter <laughs> oh yeah um, but then um yeah I, I tell them yeah at one point i was trying to watch yoruba movies and things like that and they you know laughed about it and it was a whole like big joke but then yes they do know but then i, I should definitely try to you know compel them to, to sp- by speaking to them essentially yeah. i have a question so why why do you feel like it's awkward because i can share the same feeling well, and yeah. how would you feel as a parent mm-hmm. if your children spoke to you in yoruba <laughs> well, well, wait. Let let Fade answer the first part first. Okay. okay why do I think it's um, it may be a bit awkward? Um, I, I think it may like like you said. I, I think it, it may go back to um, when um, people laughed. You know, when I tried to speak here about earlier on, and then you know, there may be like a subconscious thing going on there. But then um, I, I don't know. It just feels it just feels a bit odd. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't put my finger on exactly exactly what that is. But I don't know. It'd be interesting to actually know what you'd um, think if your kids just started. You know. <laughs> Arnaldo, what was your experience that you can share with Fadi? Don't worry, we'll come to me and mom in a moment. Um, so for me. First and foremost, for me, I think I, I had the privilege of when I was in high school taking Spanish. 
And again, that goes back to my idea of access to resources and that languages are not these neutral things. The fact that, for example, my high school actually had my quote unquote mother tongue on the syllabus is, is an example of power dynamics and how society has a structure. And so I had access to taking Spanish. That being said, it was, it was in high school. Um, it exposed me to a certain extent to obviously the language, but like most language teachers would would say that's definitely not enough for you to learn the language but still in all it was some type of exposure and i specifically made that choice because well for two reasons one i thought okay this is going to be an easy grade because i i have some you know i have this culturally i'll be able to advantage right and then two and seriously i thought out of like pride, like I should be doing this. And this is something about like authenticity and it's connected to who I am and yes. And and so that's why I took it. And when I left high school, my Spanish wasn't any better, to be honest. Um, I still could not speak in Spanish. And so I decided, well, I'm going to move to Spain because I want to improve my Spanish. And one of the biggest motivating factors, culturally speaking, your grandparents are very, very important in in my culture and literally you know I w- I'm the first grandchild of my grandmother and it, and of both my grandparents I'm the first grandchild and it was literally almost killing me inside to not be able to speak with them and it was almost destroying me when I w- when I was in their presence to just very minimally be able to speak with them and for them to to still unconditionally love me and embrace me but for me not to be able to express how much I also appreciated them and loved them and just to have simple conversations without this mountain of of language to be in our way. So I was determined to move abroad to to better my Spanish. And when I moved abroad, I lived four years in Spain, that boosted my confidence. And I remember when I first moved to Spain, I I found it so difficult the first few months that I I couldn't communicate, I, I couldn't speak. And then something happened where it was like a flood of understanding and a and a flood of being able to respond. And I think, honestly, there was something very, very deep-seated and rooted subconsciously that was stopping me to to access that. Since then, since living in Spain for four years, my relationship with my, with my grandparents, it was fine before, but I feel like I have an active part now in that relationship that I can speak with them. And I speak to my grandmother, who's in, in New York with the rest of my family and my father's side. She only speaks Spanish. She's from Puerto Rico. I speak to her at least once a week and we speak obviously only in Spanish and I'm I feel so blessed that I can I have access to her in a way that I didn't have access to. And it's just sometimes just listening to her stories, um, listening to her advice. And I just feel really, really blessed that I can do that. Because like I said before, language is this power structure. And I can just imagine there are people who didn't have access to that as a resource and don't have that that knowledge. Uh, I think the reason I didn't speak Yoruba growing up, um, because my mom did speak it to me. And not in the same way that I've heard other people where it was just for chastisement. Like she would just, she would speak it to me and I would understand, but I would just always respond in English. I felt no impetus to respond in Yoruba. It just, as a child, it just didn't occur to me that that was something I should do. It was like, this is my mom's language. English is my language. Someone gave me a French book when I was like maybe eight. And I loved that book and that cassette because I'm that old. 
and I memorized it. I, I know the songs, I know how to say the words and the phrases and the role plays from that book. And so maybe a love of language came from there. And when I went to uh, secondary school, I had a Spanish teacher. Just, she instilled in me this great appreciation for the language so that I would always come home and I'd be just be spewing any Spanish word I could at home and I think it annoyed my mom and my brother and my sister because they don't know they don't know what I'm saying and to be fair I still do that with any language I learn and so I also moved to Spain to learn Spanish and then I don't know if you remember mom but we were having a conversation and um, I was in Spain and we were on the phone and then you were speaking to me you're speaking to me in Yoruba and then you said something like oh yeah sony Yoruba like go on then Say it, say it in Yoruba. And I just came up with Spanish. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened there? That's wrong. That's not what's supposed to happen. In my mind, it's like Yoruba is my family language. It's the one that, that should be first, obviously. Well, second after English, but first before any other foreign language. But somehow Spanish had overtaken it in my, in my mind and in my mouth. So um, I kind of went on this like... Oh gosh, how do I learn Yoruba? I didn't really that I didn't really know um, how to go about that. But then maybe slowly, slowly, and especially doing this course at SOAS, I've taken more of an interest. And so I've been um, asking mum, like, can you speak more in Yoruba? But also, can you please ex not explain, but can you sound out the difference between this and this? Especially Yoruba being like this tonal language that it is. I'm just like, what what. What's the difference? What this sounds like this and that sounds like that. It's the same. Um, like. Um, Oh, no, that's not a good one. I was going to say back and teeth, but that's that's completely different. <laughs> back and egg. Yes. Like, how do you, mum, please um, demonstrate how, and so that people can know my confusion. Um, how do you say back in Yoruba? Eyi. And please, can you tell us how you say egg? Eyi. Yes. So that's the same. Uh, <laughs> no it's not the same but it's just like I started to then question like okay I need to hear this distinction because I, I can't really hear it when I try and I can't reproduce it I understand it when I hear it but I can't reproduce it so I just started to ask a little bit more questions being at SOAS I started to take more of an academic interest and so um yeah, I'm, I'm learning Yoruba, I guess, from an academic perspective. It's not really to talk with other Yoruba speakers because Taloma Bamisoro, <laughs> who's going to speak with me? Um, because we can all speak English. But nevertheless, um, I, I still am. I, I have all this time included my mum in this learning process. So unlike Fade, I don't feel like it would be weird to speak to my mum in Yoruba. But I, I can't say that we have... Um, full conversations I just still just spew words like I was doing with Spanish when I was learning because even though I understand pretty fluently I'm not um, fully conversant so that's um, that's my experience mum would you have anything to add um, something I picked up from what your generation what you guys have said and also your generation out of here um, which I think when we were discussing outside I said something was it was a cultural difference um, in our expressions and understanding of the language. So when you guys were little and you tried to speak your mother tongue in quote and parents laughed, this has been a bone of contention. And I've said to everyone that has said that, it's like, it's more of it, how can we make fun of our children? If you think about that, because you're, you, you're adults now, so maybe you can reason that way or maybe not earlier so if you think why would we make fun 
as it were, when you try to speak the language. So the the sound that came from our mouths and expression on our faces wasn't one of making fun, but it was seen as that and interpreted as that and taken on board as that and stored in there deep, so deep that it affected you emotionally. So I would just say that we didn't, on behalf of other parents... <laughs> We didn't mean to laugh at you at the time because I remember when you and my third child um, stood up for the first time. It was like, yay, this child went back right down because she was scared at the sound and she didn't walk for a very long time. So is there a portioning of blame there? One rejoiced, one saw it as a scary noise. You know, you speak that language like, <laughs> and it's like, whoa, I didn't say it right. So you have overcome that. Now you say, um, Arnaldo. So it's like, you know, you guys need to understand that we were not making fun. It was like, yeah, the, ex the cultural difference in how things come out, like I was saying earlier, you're in England, you have a way of, you interpret it the English way because that's what you understand. So there is that cultural difference that has affected maybe you speaking the language um, when you could have done it earlier. I was going to say, I think it's also to do with the way the way that I identify as a person. So I call myself Nigerian, mm -hmm. but I can't ignore the fact that I, I've mostly grown up in the UK. I, so I'm also British. Mm. I don't like to say, but I'm also <laughs> 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 I'm <British>. So <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think like when, when parents, you know, when we were younger and our parents were kind of, you know, jesting or like laughing at the fact that we were trying to speak the language, they didn't acknowledge, fully acknowledge the fact that that also has an effect on the way that we view ourselves because our parents never had, well, my parents didn't have that problem of, oh, I'm Nigerian, but I'm also this other thing because they were, they're Nigerian. They spoke Yoruba at home. They've spoken Yoruba for most of their lives. Even though they learned English at some point, that it was, there was never like a conflict of, which language to use but then because we were we were exposed to, exposed to English a lot younger than our parents were there's a kind of a difference in the way that we would interpret something like oh you're laughing at us for trying to speak Yoruba the response I got um speaking when I spoke Yoruba the laughter wasn't I didn't get that same laughter when I made mistakes in English Right, I got like a stern, like, no, this is what you're supposed to say. But I didn't get that in Yoruba, I got a laugh. Right, so I'm not sure. So that, so the way I, I interpret the laugh okay. is, um, well, you just think I'm, I'm not doing it properly. And then you have, it's not, it's not enough of a, it's not urgent enough. It's not, you don't think, my parents didn't think it was important enough, you know, to correct me. They, I, I mean, sometimes they did correct me, but then the laughter was like what I remembered. But then when I made a mistake in English, it was, um, no, this is what you're supposed to say. It was very serious. You know, you should, <laughs> you should say this. <laughs> I think because right? it was a serious language, because <laughs> right. it's more useful, maybe than Europe. But I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking that. Even till today, I imagine English is more useful than Europe because, I mean, the constitution is written in English, everything, all the laws are like written in English, you need to do does things that, Does that mean that it's more useful or we, everyone just chose to use English? Because the, mm. the constitution could have been written in Yoruba, but then you have all these other languages that you had to choose from. And because we were colonized and English was the language, it was mm. probably just easy to use one language that everybody was forced to know rather mm. than trying to pick one of the other languages mm. that's actually native, mm. one oh, of the languages. There would not be an agreement. Exactly. Yeah. There would never be an agreement. Because we're so divided. So 
so but I, that that doesn't necessarily mean that Yoruba is useful and that that's this is another contentious issue that the fact that we're saying a language like Yoruba isn't useful is that because of how much we've been exposed to English and the way we think about English and that privilege again that, that English comes with so so I was just going to say that um yes I agree with you that it shouldn't be that way but then I'm just describing it as it is mm. currently that um we I mean we didn't choose to have English as our constitution written in English like we had to have there we could have been it couldn't have been any other language I mean Nigeria they over like how many languages yeah, yeah so it had to be English yeah. forced to use English so you have to be forced to speak in English so yeah. in that sense um English is a is a more useful as as terrible as that sounds even to me as well I shouldn't say even it sounds terrible to <laughs> me as well but then um but then I think that's just the way it is that English seems to be um more useful but then I, like I mentioned they're also um useful yeah, it's also like a useful thing to to learn to speak the local languages. Mm-hmm. Well. I think it's really interesting, actually, what you said about the correction, the difference in correction between English and Yoruba, so that it's like, oh, your Yoruba is bad. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> And your English is bad. What? No, we have to do something about this. I think it speaks to the power structures that Arnaldo um, mentioned earlier and that we've spoken about briefly because there's a need and the usefulness of English. There's just a need that you 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 speak it um, where there's not the need that you speak Yoruba. It seems to be that understanding Yoruba is sufficient, um, particularly if it's a way for a parent to express their inner selves to their child, then, then it's useful there for, to to speak Yoruba but if the inner self of the child is in English then they are expressing themselves through the, the best means that they can and they know that their parent also understands that so there's no real like impetus to push Yoruba having said that now that I'm on this whole Yoruba flex um, sort of the correction that I get on Yoruba is now what I probably would have appreciated more as a child and what I appreciate in language teachers when they teach me it's just like say this we don't say that. That doesn't make any sense. It's more serious. So it's like the, the language is taken seriously. And that's kind of the idea of um, linguistic imperialism or whatever you want to call it, where one language is like stigmatized and then the other language is glorified. So you just lessen the value of it. I mean, we've mentioned, we've talked about identity or we've touched on identity a little bit in various um, contexts, but I just wanted to explore that a bit more because, uh, Yewa, you said you wouldn't really call yourself British or you're just a bit reticent to call yourself British whereas me on the other hand I feel like an imposter if I try and call myself Nigerian because there's no way that I would not call myself Yoruba my name is very Yoruba I don't even have an English name in there I don't even I don't have a Christian name so I don't have an English name calling myself Nigerian I would feel like a bit like an imposter because I don't know the Nigerian culture if you want to call it that Um, not a Yoruba culture like a a national identity of being Nigerian I mean I'm told that it exists beyond being Yoruba in Nigeria beyond being Igbo in Nigeria there's just a Nigerian identity and I very much feel like I don't belong to that because I haven't spent enough time there to claim to so um, I'm basically stuck being British (laughs) Um, but I always qualify that with being black British that's something I identify with so I guess I open up the floor to you guys on the question of identity and language there's there's a difference between how we identify and English being um, introduced in our lives and how our parents identified with English being introduced in their life there's there's a difference there so I can kind of continue with why I said I don't I don't like to call myself British because I've had I've had enough exposure to Nigerian culture throughout my life 
even like I moved back here when I was 10 but pretty much every year since then I've been going back to Nigeria and I've just always been around Nigerians when I was in school I was around Nigerians when I was at university I was around Nigerians so I definitely have always called myself Nigerian if you ask me where I'm from that's why what I say and I guess as I've gotten older and I'm a bit more conscious of life I've kind of been questioning like where I see myself in the next five years in the next 10 years and it's just not really in the UK anymore I don't I don't want to spend the rest of my life in the UK that's just a personal preference I would actually like to move to Nigeria at some point and settle there for a while so I think that's kind of one thing for me and kind of going back to the point that Fade made about Yoruba being like it, it has it definitely has its uses and I think that one of the reasons why I'm trying to now learn Yoruba is is because if I move back to Nigeria I want to be able to speak the language a lot better than I do now because I don't want to go I don't want to move there with that privilege of oh I speak English look at me I've just come back from the UK because you know you um, you were mentioning before about I can't remember the term that you said that used to that people used to use the Bintu mm-hmm. term so now it's what people say is I just got back or IJGB <laughs> and I don't want to be seen as that person's like oh yeah I just I just landed in in Nigeria from the UK yesterday I just want to blend in and I don't want people to see me as someone who's come from abroad because there is that people people will treat you a different way as well and I don't want that I just want to be Nigerian in Nigeria I want to be Yoruba in Nigeria and I don't exactly. want I want, yeah, exactly. And I don't feel, I don't feel fully accepted in the UK. Do you feel think. like Yoruba language, speaking Yoruba fluently, will mean that you are accepted in Nigeria in the way you want to be? I don't know if it's going to be in the way that I want to be, but at least it will be to a certain extent and that's good enough for me. <laughs> I think it would make some difference, definitely. Because I, again, it's it's those situations that you're in where the language is still in, or, or, a language is still important to know in Nigeria as much as English dominates people do still speak if you go to a market for instance and you want to be able to haggle I'm not going to go there speaking English because they're just going to try and take all my money from me (laughs) I think it's more of of the privilege thing for me I just don't want to speak to people who don't see themselves as English speaking even if they want to be able to speak English as much as they want to I don't want to be I don't want to come with that I just want to speak to people in the way that they understand I wanted to touch on something that was said about this idea of going going back I think that it's it's something also it's not a coincidence I we like to think that the decisions we make and 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 why we want to do certain things are of our own but it's it's not it's not a british not a nigerian um, specific context i think a lot of people of our generation have this idea of going back to this place yeah. and what's interesting is is like for me when i moved to spain you know i went to my mom's town it's 30,000 people coming from new york to this 30 to this town of 30,000 people and i went there because i remember my grandfather he He's he's sung flamenco all his life, and he would sing like at family gatherings. And my uncle and my aunts danced flamenco, but not not for stage purposes, as a culture, as a as just part of like a normal cultural thing that you would do at home, like during a celebration. So in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna listen to flamenco. I'm gonna connect. And when I got there, people were like, flamenco, like, <laughs> did you hear the Beyonce album? <laughs> and it was like, no, like I'm I've flown all this way <laughs> to connect. <laughs> 
it's it's a seven hour flight. I've been listening to flamenco the whole time, so when I land, we can I can I can be accepted. And actually, I spent a lot of my years in Spain. Yes, listening to flamenco, going to flamenco shows, asking my grandfather all the time, saying, saying, saying. But everybody thought I was weird because they were like, "Why do you like flamenco? That's like so old. Like, why do you like that?" And the same thing on my father's side, right? So wanting to go to Puerto Rico, wanting to listen to bomba, which is um, Afro Puerto Rican traditional music, wanting to explore Afro-Puerto Rican spirituality, which is mixed with Yoruban spirit, which is pretty much mixed with Yoruban and Western African spirituality and Catholicism. And everybody looking at me like I'm weird because it's like, what's that? What's that? Voodoo? You want to do what? Like you want to like candles and, and, and like, why you want to learn that? And why are you listening to bomba music? Like you want to drums? Like, <laughs> you know, and that's not to say everyone, I wasn't met like that by everyone, but culture Culturally, again, connecting it back to our decisions and being able to speak a language and going back, I I don't know exactly what it is, but I find that a lot of people in my generation, it's a thing of reaching back and owning and empowering ourselves with something that possibly our, we didn't see our parents have ha as having the option. So my father, for example, of Puerto Rican descent, He's extremely proud to be Puerto Rican. He's bilingual. However, he would never move to Puerto Rico. You know, he would never live there. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do, he, he's not about that life. I can't see him doing that. And that being said, he's extremely proud of being American. And I find that very problematic. I find that extremely problematic because it almost seems that I only become American when I'm overseas and somebody recognizes me. I think a lot of times, for example, like my accent in the UK, they'll say, oh, are you American? And I had to get used to that because in the United States, where are you from was never, you're American. Where are you from is more why do you look like the way you look and where do you come from and so because in the united states if i if i if i were to meet someone and somebody asked me where are you from and i said i'm from here i'm from new york they'd be like Exactly. Right. And I know that we can probably relate like living in the UK where people have asked you that. But there's two sides to that. There's actually nothing wrong with what they're asking. Um, there's nothing wrong with me saying I'm American. There's nothing wrong with me saying I'm Puerto Rican. There's nothing wrong with any of those. It's just the power dynamics behind those questions and who gets who gets access and unquestionable access to identities and who has to prove themselves. And so to go back to a point that you made about language, I think that it's not enough to minimize being able to be native and then that means I get accepted, but it's also on the opposite side. And I know it's like, well, pick one. We also almost deify languages where they become so powerful and, and, and they have the ability to deny access and give access, but then also also, a lot of times we think, well, if, if I learn French, I'm going to get the job. And it's like, no, you may not have the last name they're looking for. And, and, so, and so it kind of, you know, um, in a weird way, if I possibly learned Yoruba and I went to the marketplace... I may do better than you because they may see they may see me as not looking like I should know that much and they may treat me nicer because I'm mixed race and they might be like and you're American and you're Puerto Rican oh my goodness he knows Yoruba we're gonna they might 
I'm just I'm just painting a possibility, or it could be the opposite. They can they could be saying they could look at me and say, "Who are you trying to speak our language? Get out of here!" So I think like it's not an automatic, and I really feel that way because when I was doing my research it, here in 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 the UK, I was doing it on Latinx migrants to London, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, the reason why they they are in the jobs that they that they have working in the university as as cleaners is because they don't know the language. If they knew English well enough." They could do better. The problem with that is, is that some of the security guards were also immigrants and they spoke English, but they were still making the same wage. So some of, again, some of the same, they weren't doing the same job, but they were in the same position of not getting paid for vacation, not being able to get a, a salary boost after X amount of years, not being appreciated, not really being part of this London, come move here and do better for yourself, not getting the London, what, what is it, London living wage? They were in the same conditions. And in the union meetings, you had, interestingly enough, these Spanish-speaking people, these Nigerian-British or British-Nigerian people as well in the same meetings, uh, Somali-British people, and they all spoke English. Matter of fact, the Latino-Latinx cleaners and the, the security guards couldn't communicate because they didn't have a, the same language, but they were in the same situation. So... That kind of ruined my research because I was like, well, language has this ability. And if if they did know English, then they would be doing better. But actually, no, there have been people in this country for 15, 20 years. And, and, and there's like this ceiling that they can't break. Why? I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> Fade looks like you want to say something. Right. So... Um... So I definitely identify as Nigerian, right? I grew up in, although I'm also British as well, um, I wasn't born here. My mom was born here and then she, well, she grew up most of her life in Nigeria. But um, I mean, I, I came here when I was 16. So, you know, it's very difficult for me to identify as um, British. Um, I mean, like we're discussing um, um, before this started that um, living here has definitely influenced um, the way I think well, a significant amount. Um, but then I still definitely um, identify as Yoruba Nigerian, essentially. I grew up in Nigeria, born here, but I grew up in Nigeria. And my thinking is Nigerian because when I came here, I didn't understand English jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump in and sell a little anecdote because one time, mom has told me this, one time when she, I think it was at school, uh, or somewhere someone was just like oh you're so crazy and she was like what crazy because weary is like a, an, a, an ultimate insult in Yoruba and in Nigeria so to call someone crazy is like what <laughs> so mom was, she always tells me how she just didn't get accustomed to life here <laughs> carry on mom um what did I say so it was because of the cultural difference so understanding of the humor so I definitely and I could not make English friends not because I was a racist it just didn't happen because we were not thinking the same I couldn't understand how they would think the way they thought and I bet they couldn't understand mine either so I was by myself most of the time if you like but I was okay even with that so in my head, I'm Nigerian. I still say when people say, um, where are you from? But I still identify as a Nigerian, having said that. I mean, when I was raising my children, it was like, I'm going back home, home, home. So I've just come here on a pilgrimage and I'm going back home. To the point that Kumi said to me, mom, Nigeria is home for you, but it's not home for me. 
And that stopped me in my tracks because it's like, what? No, that should be home for you. But how could it be home for her? Because she didn't know that place as home. This is all she did. She was born here, even though she lived in Nigeria for a, a couple of years. It was like, I'm going home to Nigeria. So when you finish your education, university, you're supposed to go back home. So that was the plan. And I went back home because you pack your bags when you finish. That was the plan for your parents, you know, the parents had for you as well. You finish that and you go back home. So I did. And then I wanted to do masters. So I came here. That didn't happen. I can't remember. And then I got married. So Nigeria was always going back home, home, home. I actually did go back home. Yeah. So I went back 2009, like I'm moving back home. So I started a business there, but I didn't do too well. I came back here. I've been here since 2000, 2014, and my thinking about Nigeria has changed. And I'm like, I don't see myself there because I'm not thinking the way they are thinking now. My thinking has changed. I have friends. I have family there. But my values have changed. So when I go there, I will be isolated. So I'm thinking now, um, hmm. If I go there, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be? So that's the point where I am now. So identity, in terms of identity, I don't know. I'll just be where I'm comfortable living. So if I live here for the rest of my life, I'm okay with it because I'm not putting expectation on anyone to treat me better. So I will create how I want to live. So I guess that comes with maturity age. I don't know. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned that you live here, you were living here and then you couldn't really identify with Englishness and English isms because of your thinking. And then you went to Nigeria and you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't identify with this and the thinking. That's basically my entire experience as a human being. <laughs> That's basically my entire experience. And so I call me and others like me, like the in-betweenies. We're in-between cultures because we have a culture, we have a home culture and this comes with a home language usually. So we have this home culture and this home language and we are, we understand it, but we're only half in it, like one leg and one arm. And then we have this, the other culture of where we are that we're supposed to assimilate and we're supposed to like, you know, this is, we're here because this is better for us, what we're aspiring to achieve. This is where we're aspiring to achieve something. And because we spend our life growing up here, we understand the norms and, and how to move about. So we've got half an arm, another arm and another leg in this culture. So we're kind of like these in-betweenies that are not fully fitting into either. Because when I'm here, people ask me, where are you from? You know, where are you really from? When I go to Nigeria, I don't have to open my mouth and someone will be like, hey, I know you can afford this, buy it. Or I know you can afford the first class lounge, go in. I went to Nigeria like for a break of, of uni and I was talking to this guy who said, I can tell you I know from here. I can tell from the color of your skin. It looks too fresh. <laughs> and I was like, what does that even mean? He was like, yeah, your skin looks too fresh for you to actually be. He was like, I acknowledge the fact that you're Nigerian, but you're not really Nigerian. You're not one of us. You don't have that rugged... You don't have that rugged look about you. Like you haven't suffered. Like, like I haven't suffered, yeah. <laughs> so on top of it being that we don't fully know or Nigerians in Nigeria perceive people abroad to not really know the culture, you also can't really know the language because you haven't spent all your life here like we have. So you're, you, can't really, you can't really claim to be fully Nigerian or fully understand the language the way that they do. To pick up on the metaphor you used in terms of having one leg and... and another limb outside I think it's like even messier in my mind for myself so in Puerto Rico we have this soup is called sancocho 
or mondongo and it's like a mix of basically in my opinion it's like everything that was in the refrigerator <laughs> <laughs> and in the south of spain we have something also called potaje and it's the same it's a, it's a similar idea and i kind of feel like i'm floating in this soup and you just don't know what you're going to bump into and it's messy that way in terms of language and identity and i think it's interesting in terms of going back to the what i said earlier to you and acceptance you just want to be accept we we just want to be accepted because we do belong to this soup <laughs> for like there's no denying it right in in ourselves and i think it's interesting in terms of when you are accepted and and when you are not and my grandmother used to always say in spanish um you know don't worry cuando mueres te, te van a coger de hombro don't worry because when you pass away everyone will carry you on on their shoulders they'll they'll say good things about you no matter how horrible you are at your funeral everybody will say oh it was a good person <laughs> and i think in the living it's similar when you reach a point of success or reach a point of admiration everybody wants to claim you mm -hmm. then you become everything that you weren't before you yeah, become And there was, going back to race, there was an example, I think it was last year in the news, you may have seen it. There was a man in France who scaled a wall. And to be clear, he was a black man, right, of African, continental African descent. So I think he had moved to France as an adult or a young adult. He was given nationality, citizenship. And I think... It's nothing to take away because this is problematic as well, right? There's nothing to take away what he did as 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 a human. That there's nothing to take away from that. But I think it's interesting that when you look a certain way, almost you have to be phenomenal for you to, yeah, um, and recognize. And it goes back to what I said before about who is speaking and who is manipulating the language and how it's perceived based on who you are. So you could possibly, for example, be Yoruba, speak it at, let's say, 85%, and somebody who's, let's say, white English goes to that same market and speaks it at 25%, and they're more accepted mm -hmm. because they're seen as like, well, you really made an effort. Whereas you, who possibly studied it, You did extra classes, all of these things to get to your 85% because you also started at, at, a, at a, you know, not knowing the language won't be accepted. And actually, it's like even though you speak at 85, you're still not enough. But if you were, write, if you were to write a book that was like the number one bestseller, what would happen then? Erase all that. that take it up to right a hundred. Now it's like, so, and this is not to say everybody, but um, in terms of acceptance, I think it's it's telling in terms of I guess like I don't know your accomplishment sometimes, and then and then the way that your quote unquote community accepts you. We've had a lot of unfortunately blaming parents for the reason we don't speak our um, our their tongue or our mother's tongue, but. Um, Is there any case for the individual taking on responsibility uh, themselves? Because um, I've spoken to some people in my research and they're like, yeah, as soon as I'm like 14 or maybe even younger, I chose to learn Spanish. I chose to learn French. So why did I not choose to learn Yoruba? It's, it's down to me. What's your take on the individual taking responsibility for not speaking the heritage language 
or maybe wider social factors that contribute to the inability to maintain that language in the family. It's um, a mix. So I think that um, there is something in the fact that our parents, for those of us who weren't spoken to or who were spoken to and don't speak it regardless, I think there's something in the fact that they prioritized English over and above our languages that is not an individually conscious choice on the part of our parents. It's, I think, it's societal or it's systemic or it's, it's whatever you want to call it. It was an unconscious prioritizing of English to the detriment of, in my case, Yoruba. And I've spoken to people who are not Yoruba. This kind of seems like a Yoruba-dominant um, group, but I've also spoken to people who are not Yoruba. But um, definitely, it's an African experience, whether it's Anglophone Africa, Francophone Africa, Lucifer Africa, it doesn't matter. The European language has been prioritized over and above the indigenous cultural heritage, whatever you want to call it, language. So much so that it's, it's, it, there's, like, there's not even an awareness of that going on because I find it interesting that Arnaldo wanted to learn Spanish to speak to his grandparents. My grandparents speak English. And then I recently found out that my mom's grandparents spoke English. And I was like, grand, you're, that's like four gener, what? They, they're English speaking? She's like, yeah, they've got pictures with like the queen or someone. Yeah, they started a school and the queen came over and they're speaking to the queen. I was just like, what? Great grandparents are English speaking. So I almost feel like even if I wanted to speak only Yoruba I wouldn't have that option of like somebody who that situation where I was forced to only communicate in Yoruba because everybody around in my little circle was, was English speaking and this mentality or this idea of yeah let's pass English on it was just par for the course it wasn't something that was just down to the parents and also yeah so I said I think it wasn't a conscious thing that parents did but it's unfortunate because it seems to have just shifted so drastically in one generation. So I said, grand, great, my great-grandparents were English-speaking, but the shift or the loss of Yoruba has happened in this generation. And it's not just in the UK, it's also in Nigeria. And I find it so curious that it's in just this one generation where that's just so drastically happened, where even though you speak English and everybody knows and then English is all around you, you still pass Yoruba on to your children. But this generation, somehow the language is lost. Then it's like, well, who, who should be responsible for that? And who has the power, once you realize, to change that? I think the individual has the power to change that at this stage or at the stage where you're able to reason and choose to speak Spanish or French or Chinese or Arabic. You can be like, yo, I'm going to learn Yoruba. Why not? But it's not an option. It's not an option for a few reasons. We don't teach community languages, quote unquote. In, in the UK context, a community language is Gujarati, Bangladeshi, Hindi, um, Yoruba, Chi or any language of the, the migrants, we don't teach it. We teach uh, in schools internationally recognized as important European languages, and now to an extent Chinese, right? Because it's important for commerce, it's important for business. So that's what we prioritize. So 
that's not the fault of the parents. The parents aren't like, oh no, you cannot take your classes when you go to school. That's ridiculous. Why do you want to take? There's no Yoruba class to take. And then there's another issue. I want to learn Yoruba now. Who, who's, who's teaching me? Where are my teachers? Where's the pedagogy? Where's the infrastructure? Like that's all set up for Spanish, for French. I was just going to say, because it's, it's interesting because take my experience. Spanish was taught at my high school and I still, I still wasn't able to learn it. And I had access to four years of Spanish. I gra- my high school diploma says honors in Spanish. <laughs> you take that to a job interview and it sounds like, oh, you have honors in, in Spanish as a language. And, and, and I go back to how we simplify languages, right? So if, if mom, dad, if you would have taught me, if I would practice more, then I would become, but it's actually more complex than that. So when I think of, for example, Yoruba as a language, there's also the idea of at a certain point, the language is also a high religious use of the language. It wasn't just to go to the marketplace. There are prayers in Yoruba. There's a religion. There's a culture. There's a history. There's a genealogy. And I kind of feel that this idea of learning a language comes with heavier packages than just learning the grammar or just practicing it. It's, it's a thing that has a history. And so those types of things connect to, to power, to, to, to human stories. And that's not easy to teach, or I would even venture to say impossible to teach in a classroom. But I think sometimes it's not even just about learning it in the classroom. Just if I wanted to learn Yoruba now, and I do, and I wanted to find a way to, to access it, there will be a lot of questioning, like, why do you want to do that? Like, what's, what's that about? So I feel like that's, that's not coming from parents all the time, by the way. So it's not just, um, there are various factors. That was my point, that it's not just parents not speaking it. Um, it's not just me not wanting to speak it. It's like, okay, if I want to speak it, then you have these um, almost societal barriers. Like, wh- where are the teachers? People don't train in Yoruba. Why don't they train in Yoruba? Because why would they? Well, what are you going to do with that? You, you get a Yoruba degree and, and then what? Mm-hmm. Be speaking Yoruba to who? Who wants to learn? I mean, now, however, what I was going to say is I feel like there is a shift um, because of this, like, Arnaldo, you touched on it previously, um, people wanting to wanting to belong right wanting to reclaim uh, something something that the parent our parents generation didn't have to consider they they they're nigerian they're yoruba they're whatever and they know that and they come to england on holiday and they come to england to work and it's like i'm going back home because home is a very clear defined concept for them whereas for the in-betweenies as i call us home is not a clear and defined concept because here you don't you don't necessarily feel like you belong here or you're not made to feel like you belong here. And then when you go to this place that people tell you is home, you, they're like, oh, you're, but you're not really from here either. So there's no clear defined concept of home. Because of that, the lack of belonging to England is making people cling now stronger to a Nigerian identity or to a migrant identity or to another identity or to a heritage that... The link is, is kind of a little bit tenuous at the moment, but it's like, no, let me, let me make that stronger. Let me reclaim that so I have somewhere to belong. Because this sense of, this question of identity is, it's, it's like surfacing 
a lot. And I wonder if it's because of a, a societal shift. It can't just be a coincidence that everybody's feeling this all at one time. We want to belong. So let's belong to the place that everyone tell, tells us that we're supposed to belong. So let's learn the language. Let's go there. Let's appreciate the culture. Let's understand the culture. A lot of people I've spoken to are talking about, yeah, I want my kids to understand this language. I want to pass this language on to my kids because I want them to know their heritage. I want them to know their culture in the way that I don't, or at least as much as I do, so that they'll have somewhere to belong, which is not here as well. I think, yeah, now individuals are taking responsibility. Parents, yeah, I mean, it's it's now a bit reductive to like talk about, it's our parents' fault. Because <laughs> at one like ultimately, you're responsible for yourself as you grow up. I know I'm uh, pandering to mother there. <laughs> um, anyone want to add anything? No, I, mean, I completely um, agree with you. Like at this stage, I mean, as an adult, then you have to take responsibility for, for learning the, the language. And I mean, as a kid, like in this part, I think your parents definitely have a, a role to play. But you know, I think a huge part of that pressure comes from society. Like society creates a demand for whatever language like, is dominant, essentially. So, so I sort of like, agree, like, you know, at this stage, you have to take responsibility. For our generation, they, they're wanting to explore what else is out there. So even if they end up moving to this country where they think, oh, I'm going to belong, if they find out that they don't belong, at least they've gone out there and they've tried that and they're like, okay, fine, I don't belong here. Maybe I go back to where I just came from or I go somewhere else. Um, yeah, but I think having that option is is becoming more and more important to our generation because a lot of people do feel like they don't fully belong where they were brought, where they were raised for different reasons. Coming from Ni- Nigeria or identifying as a Yoruba Nigerian, so for me, it's not just tapping into um, the, the opportunities that organizations that, you know, organize around ethnicities and languages um, provide. Um, it's also what you mentioned, um, that, you know, that quest to like know what, what's, you know, what was there before for what it is now, you know, wanting to, knowing that you, you somehow, you're somehow connected to something that was like, you know, really ancient and old, like creates like some kind of curiosity you want to like connect to that as well yeah and i think in the context of nigeria you can argue that it is important for our generation to go back because all at the moment you're just hearing stories about what nigeria is like a lot of people are telling you oh it's just corrupt oh it's just rubbish why don't you go there and find out not saying it's going to be easy but actually maybe you'll be fine there maybe you won't be but go there and find out what's actually happening and don't just listen to what people who have been there and have come back are saying, like form your own opinion of what's going on. I guess I would add that I think that it's not enough just to learn a language. I think that there's a lot more responsibility to actually connecting with your heritage and your roots. And I think we do a dishonor if we don't acknowledge that. And we think like, for example, me when I was 14, oh, I'll take four years of Spanish and then I'll connect. Nah, doesn't work that way. And I think that it's not a coincidence, right, that, for example, even in my case with my, you know, ability to to claim um, certain passports, then it's not a coincidence that we're all here in London. You know, the, the story that I told earlier about um, the Greek Nigerian basketball player, his journey is not a UK story. His journey at 24 is going to Greece. And so I would I would venture to say that his parents, even though they are Nigerian, didn't have the same story to tell. There's a reason why they ended up in Greece and not UK. And there's a reason why certain, for example, Nigerians are in the UK and certain 
Puerto Ricans, for example, there are more Puerto Ricans living in mainland United States and New York than on the island. There is a specific reason why that's that way. And there's a reason why they landed where they landed. They didn't land in France. They didn't land, right? So I think that even if we did have access to, for example, languages, I don't think that that would be sufficient or enough for us to be able to reclaim something. Because just to repeat, there's there Spanish in most every American high school as, as, as an option. But that doesn't do enough to actually... Taking that Spanish class is not the same for me as a Puerto Rican as it would be for, let's say, a white American. It, 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 it's not the same experience. It doesn't do the same thing. It's, it's, not a, it's not a whole enough experience for me to feel that I'm actually empowering myself with my culture, my history, my parents. No. But you would acknowledge that the fact that you even had the option of speaking Spanish at school is... Is 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 great. It's a privilege, yeah, absolutely, that yeah. a lot of languages don't have. So I think absolutely. having that starting point is important. But then once you get to that stage, you need to go further. Absolutely. But I would also acknowledge that hope can actually be a greater barrier to revolution and freedom. Because if we keep saying tomorrow will be better, tomorrow never comes. So if in my mind, I believe the fact that my access to being taught Spanish actually enables me to understand the struggle and 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 the the true going ons of what somebody who was born and raised on the island of Puerto Rico who didn't have the privilege that my grandparents had and they weren't necessarily wealthy but they had some privilege to get on a boat or well not a boat a plane they took a plane I guess sorry grandma <laughs> a plane in the 1950s to move to Puerto Rico whereas other people didn't for example, my grandmother, all of her siblings didn't make it to New York. And I'm not saying that their life is worse off. It could be the, actually the opposite, that her life moving to New York was actually worse off. And that her siblings that got to stay actually didn't have to experience certain things. And But my, I think it's just messier. And I think that the change that needs to happen, to give it like a, a clear example, I don't think that if the UK were to implement Yoruba as an option in at A-levels, I don't think that would be enough. Because the structures of society wouldn't make it that easy for you to be able to say like I had I had the option of taking Yoruba and I've I've mended the scar that has happened that's not going to be enough context of a language like Yoruba what would you suggest if you if you were trying to implement something in London yeah. for people to speak languages like Yoruba what would you suggest so I think there would have to be a complete power shift and it wouldn't be so if I can kind of quote Emil um, Kolbarau, who was the gentleman, one of the one of the people who helped to liberate um, Guinea and Cape Verde Islands from the Portuguese, he says that culture is not just something flippant that we we sing and do. Culture is actually the first step to revolution. And if you don't have control of your culture and someone else is doing that for you, the way that we are all dressed, the way that we all think, make jokes, all of these things, then you don't really have a revolution. And I think that by default, speaking Yoruba or dressing a certain way or wearing your hair a certain way, even when you're not trying to, to be revolutionary, by default, it's seen as revolutionary. Even if you're just like, oh my God, I look good today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear this. I'm going to do this. 
the simple fact that you thought that that looked cute actually could be a stance of revolution. So I think I don't have the specific answers, but I think it would probably start with teaching young children, maybe just like Nigerian history at five years old in the UK and, and, and infusing and incorporating that with, let's say, Yoruba. Yeah, I mean, I totally, totally agree with you. So I was, go I was going to say that um, even if people learn the language. Yoruba language. So it's not about language. If you want to identify with a, um, I don't know if ethnicity or culture or what's the word that you've been using, heritage, there is so much more to it. It's not just the language. You can learn the language, speak the langu language fluently in England. That doesn't make you the Yoruba. So it's not about language, ultimately, because I speak the language. The it's language, not just about yeah. language. I speak the language fluently, yeah. more than the average. Mm -hmm. I write it. Mm -hmm. Why do I not, um, why do I have a shift now in my thinking? So if you want to be a Nigerian, Nigerian, we're not talking Yoruba now, you cannot bring Nigeria to England. I don't believe you can. Because there's more to it than living in a certain place. And you, you have to do so much more to be the actual Nigerian. Why would you go at this stage to Nigeria and they think that you are not part of them? You speak Yoruba, you look Yoruba and so on and so forth. So you've been removed from it, as it were. So there is something that you have to be there to live it. You know, so it's not just the language. There's more, there's, you know, there's more to it, like you said. There's so much more to it. I don't know if being making parents aware of this, like, why didn't I speak, like you said, why didn't I speak to you in Yoruba when you were a baby? If I said that was my mother tongue, why didn't I? Well, I don't really have the answer to that. It, it just happened because we're in England. That's not enough, though. So make parents aware that there's got to be this shift because children are not identifying with their heritage. So I then have to, so to you guys, as it were, well, you must speak Yoruba to your newborn baby. How easy is that going to be? You're in England. It's not going to happen. So that was actually going to be my next um, question and point for discussion is what about the next generation? So um, have our experiences shaped the way we would like to, A, if we're going to have children, raise our children, or B, see what happens to the next generation? Is it possible to reverse a shift if there's a shift happening? Maybe not in the, in the case you of see, being in the UK. You're still busy trying to <laughs> but can we can we reclaim language or can we reclaim culture i guess being here being in the uk or should we just abandon this idea altogether because it's too late for me i, I didn't about um i don't know about it if you're living in the uk i mean um like you said that'll be that'll be difficult and for me personally, I'm definitely going to, you know, <laughs> jam that language. <laughs> but then I'm definitely going to make sure that my my um, my children um, learn the, the limited um, Yoruba that I know, and then make sure they get extra help in learning the language. Because I think in Nigeria, it's at the moment now it's very um, useful, and then they're definitely, you know, if not, um, you know, connecting to your heritage, like definitely economic benefits. Um, for that, such as so, so, like I mentioned earlier, like the way the political settlement is in Nigeria, um, a lot of opportunities are tied to you know belonging to or identifying or being accepted in a certain like you know 
organization or a certain sort of you know group and then it definitely helps if you could negotiate you have to do your service as well yes yes i know i've done that but um so so in that respect i'm I'm definitely going to um um, do my best to get my kids to to learn a language in terms of um you know bringing in language here i'm not sure if that's part of the question now it was definitely something you alluded to like in in the in the previous round i I agree with you that it's going to be definitely difficult you know bring that you know have you know Yoruba A levels, unless there is an actual um, demand for it, as there is a demand for Mandarin and Are things like that. In England, mm-hmm. yeah, really. Maybe there was demand. For, oh, wow, I'm actually super surprised with that. Wow. Then there was probably maybe there was um, a demand um, for it there, but then now I know there is definitely. Um, well, in I, I know the Met, the Metropolitan Police actually like put out job ads yeah. with you know Yoruba as one of the languages. You know, wonder um, why. Yeah. <laughs> right. but then um yeah i think it'd be it has to be like a huge shift you know um i think it has to be economic um to to get you know that level of you know support societal support for you but and my personal opinion is that you need the um, economic prosperity of you know the african countries in order to like drive that how would making sure the child understands from a baby because that's what you said why didn't i as a baby <laughs> let your just roll out of my just tongue like to feed her this, Yoruba if you go <laughs> this child that is because question. when this child mm. hears this yoruba this child mm. will speak that yoruba first because right. <laughs> right. i because i um no, not necessarily. I, I'm not necessarily going to force them um to or, or try to make the, make yoruba their, their first language but definitely um a, a native um, language as well as and if my whoever my partner is is interested in you know passing on that you know their own like heritage down to their children then um your competition i'm kidding not competition <laughs> but then they, they can i mean there's there's enough room in the brain for for more than like one language yeah, you know and yeah, if it's yeah. english then it's easier but then if it's a third language then i guess there's more than enough room for that can i just try to answer the question about reclaiming the language and whether you can bring it to the UK. You definitely can. If there are people who have no knowledge of a language and can one day decide, I want to learn this language and do it, then surely we can reclaim a language that we're aware of, even if we don't have enough experience speaking it. Example of what language would you? I just mean like tomorrow, I, 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 I don't know, I traveled to Guatemala and I find this language that has been spoken by like a town of 30 people right. and I stay there for a little while and I'm like, I want to speak your language. I've never heard it before, right. but I want to speak it. So I think that we can, in the UK, Yoruba, there are people, there are enough people speaking Yoruba in the UK. So it can't be that hard to reclaim the language because the language exists where we are. It's just not readily available. There is going to have to be work to reach out and find ways of learning the language, but it is possible. I'm not sure that there is a huge economic benefit. Why does, um, there, why does it have to be an economic benefit? And that's what drives things like in the world right <laughs> capital <laughs> yeah. but then if i I, think, I personally think you know if there's no there's an economic benefit to learn mandarin there right? is there's a lot of like yeah. chinese like capital moving everywhere so you need to like or you it's it's beneficial to you to learn to speak the language but then if you know how to um speak um yoruba in the uk i mean you're useful for like the police because you know i don't want to go into that but then um if unless i'm not sure what economic benefits like you you'd gain if you're you're living in the uk if you, 
when you learn Yoruba. Unless, like I said, there's like prosperity in African countries. And I, then... don't think, I don't think it has to be because of economic benefit. Okay. Because if you're living in the UK, English is going to be the thing that you use to get work. But if you want your children because you want them to be connected to your heritage, if you want them to learn the language and you start to speak to them and they learn it, there's no harm in that. And it doesn't have to be for economic reasons. I, I agree with you. I'm talking about the, the societal support for learning the language the societal support will be difficult it will have to be down to it will have to be down to individual people or groups of people in in society to kind of nurture the language and keep it maintained getting whole communities or whole like councils to encourage the use of the language that's going to be difficult so it has to be down to individuals and small groups of people but it can be done my idea shifted but i just i'm not confident it can be done why? Because, and I mean this sincerely, that I'm the first one that wants to charter and change and, and see what, what we don't see nowadays in terms of equality and, you know. But I've come to realize that we, I think we need to start seeing things as really connected to, 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 again, power structures. So I've never been to Nigeria, but I find it difficult to absorb that in a way Yoruba, learning Yoruba would be so financially beneficial. And I find it difficult because people that I know who have been born and raised in in Nigeria, they themselves, I'm talking about people my age who have moved to UK, they don't speak Yoruba and they were born and raised there. And I think also we need to look at it as not just a Nigerian and a Yoruba, which is easy if that is your identity. This is happening on a global scale. So my father is bilingual. He's of your generation. And me and my siblings grew up not speaking and not being bilingual. It's not just a UK thing. It's not just a Nigerian thing thing. It is a political, social, economic shift. And we are part of these waves that are happening. Again, it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that we're all in London. This same discussion could be happening in New York with no Nigerians at the table. And you'd have people saying, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do this. It's the same thing happening. And I feel as if as much as I will walk away from this table and contradict everything that I say and be right with you and say, no, we're going to learn it and we're going to go to the council because I will do it. I, I will be that. There's something that happened to me when I was doing my graduate studies where I almost, I guess, admitted to myself that a lot of the decisions that we think we make are actually already pre-selected. And that is what enabled me to forgive my parents. Because for as much as it's, it's, it would be an easy fix, we could sit here and if you thought about it, you could probably think of an example where somebody grew up in a household where it was strictly forbidden to speak English living in the UK and they had to speak in Yoruba or in Bangladeshi and they grew up resenting it. I have a friend, his parents were Venezuelan and they moved to France and his parents forced him to speak in Spanish. Can you believe this grown man to this day claims to not be able to speak Spanish because he resented the fact that his parents forced him to speak in Spanish. So he grew up in a household in France where the household was forced to, everybody had to speak in Spanish. So there were like punitive repercussions. Like if you don't speak, if you don't respond to me in Spanish, you're going to get hit. So he grew up speaking in Spanish and now at 28 years old, when we have conversations in English, he will say, I can't speak Spanish. And I'm like you have to be able to speak Spanish you grew up having to respond in Spanish it wasn't even a thing that he had the option of responding in French while his parents spoke to him in Spanish he had to respond he said I know but I resented it so much that somehow he's blocked it now why would he do that what was going on but then the so then we can do the opposite where you grew up in a house where it's a decision you said you weren't forced really to respond you you had the option but you didn't and it would be easy to say well you know what that's your fault but I don't think it's your fault I think that there are 
are bigger societal forces. And it's not to exempt our responsibility as adults. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be responsible of, of our lives, but I think the, the self-responsibility is intertwined with a macro power structure. I, I agree with what you're saying and I acknowledge it. But Kumi mentioned earlier being conscious of the fact that you don't fully know your heritage language and then choosing to do something about it. And I think the key thing is if you are conscious of that fact and it bothers you, then you should do something about it. If you are just in a society and, you know, your decisions are based on what's happening around you and you're not conscious of that, you can't expect people to be able to make that change overnight. It will take some time. But at the point that you become conscious of what's going on, if you just continue, you know, in the situation that you're in, then... What about if you took a young Nigerian girl living in Burma mm -hmm. and she was conscious of the fact that she n didn't speak Yoruba but needed or wanted to, would she still re be responsible? And I use Burmuth because in my very limited imagination of what England looks like, I would think that <laughs> Burmuth yeah. would be a remote yeah. place that, <laughs> yeah. that didn't have the privilege of speaking from a London voice yeah, of having yeah, a Nigerian yeah. community. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that child should be responsible for like you know not speaking Yoruba but if she's if she goes to her parents and says I want to start speaking Yoruba can you speak it to me her parents should say yes we can speak it to you not laugh at her or not make her feel as if oh why are you doing this and explain to her that look when you go to school nobody's speaking this language we're happy to speak it to you at home but that's probably where that's probably the only place that you're gonna learn it so it's also about being realistic about what you're working with but there's always going to be a starting point being aware of it and picking up on it and doing something about it is important so that I think there is so many different layers to what we're talking about that every situation is going to be different and you just kind of have to adapt to each situation so differently. Like I support teaching Yoruba because <laughs> I know it doesn't but but just I think my main point is is that I think that the work that we must do is is not going to be as easy as mm. implementing language programs mm. I think the amount of space that we will need so that the next generation is fluent in Yoruba we're going to have to take more space than than just a language course yeah. at at, at um, high school. I would one hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, it is possible, but like like you say, I think we're going to need space. And one of the ways that um, I think it could be possible is the fact that we're having this discussion now. The fact that people are thinking that yeah, I want my kids to speak Yoruba. So that's the first step: the be the becoming conscious. Once you become conscious, then then you can do something about it now that you're awake. So whether it is institutions, I think we need our own institutions or our own groups, or if you don't want to call it institutions, our own mechanisms to make this change, or we need something to rally around. I mean, I can use the example of Wales, where Wales had their endangered dying language, and then suddenly everybody woke up and was just like, I want to speak Welsh now. And then within one generation, it becomes a first language it becomes a mother tongue again after it was previously an oppressed, endangered, even though indigenous language. So, I mean, that's of, that's often held up as the, the beacon, the example of language revitalization. And there are different mechanisms and different power structures that go on there. But if there's one case, one example of success, there's always hope. So, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, you don't necessarily have to bring Nigeria here because the culture, the Nigerian culture 
in Nigeria is going to be different from the Nigerian culture in Britain. In the same way that what was a Nigerian culture in the Bahia um, in in Brazil, in the same way that Yoruba was um, in Brazil, it changed there. So there's nothing wrong with the, the British Yoruba culture or British Yoruba experience being slightly different from the Nigerian one. It's just, is there a culture we can rally around here that would include the language so that there is a link, so that there is a sense of belonging to something a little bit more global or a little bit bigger than just yourself and your family alone in Bournemouth down there. Can you connect? It's all about connection, right? Can you connect? Can you belong? And you know, language is not everything, but was it Chimamanda who said um, that culture is held within language? Because that's how you talk about the things you believe. And then Language is full of millennia of history and culture and just ways of being. It's all encased within sound, the sounds that come out of your mouth. So, yeah, just speaking a language doesn't mean that you will be a part of a culture. I'm, I'm not part of a Spanish culture. I speak kind of speak Spanish, but I will never be part of a Spanish culture. But I can be, I can belong to a Yoruba culture if I understand and if I speak the language because then there's a different level of meaning that comes with that I will understand the the sounds of the language and the history that comes through the sounds and the proverbs and, and all these things that have encased meaning in a particularly Yoruba way that I can identify with because I am Yoruba